Man, you're getting killed out there. Tell me about it. I feel like Rocky after 15 rounds with Apollo Creed. Speaking of Rocky, did you know that Sylvester Stallone wrote the first draft of the movie in only three days? Did you know that Sylvester Stallone permanently flattened out his knuckles from punching the side of beef? What about Burgess Meredith? He had lived his line in the audition, which landed him the role of Mickey. Or that a destitute Sylvester Stallone turned down $350,000 because the studio didn't want him starring in it? Well, you can find this out and much, much more by listening to Rocky Minute, the fan podcast that covers the Rocky movies one minute at a time. You can find us on DuelingGenre.com. Now get back out there and knock this bum out. Dueling Genre Welcome back to the Cornetto Minute, the daily podcast where we review and reanimate the Zomrom-Com Shaun of the Dead, one minute at a time. I'm Scott Corelli. I'm Nick Jimenez. And joining us from the Alien Minute podcast, John Ingle. Welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, absolutely. We tried to get you on when we were talking about space. I was dying to get you on, but you're, <laughs> you're a busy guy. Uh, it was That was a rough spot for yeah. me, uh, scheduling-wise. But it's funny because I wrote a couple of notes here about Nick Frost's character in um, in Shaun of the Dead here, and I wrote Mike twice. <laughs> so I was, uh, I was like, wait, wait, yeah, like, yeah, his name's Ed. I just yeah. kept calling him Mike. Yeah, Mike came I, up uh, just the other day in my head. He, uh, Ed, yeah. uh, Nick Frost was doing something that struck me as Mike-like. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And well, not too far removed, I guess, from from space to this character, or um, well, the character maybe is, but uh, time wise for Nick Frost, uh, not too far removed. So. No, oh yeah, oh, yeah. He was yeah. probably borrowing a few things that he had uh, used. On space. Oh well, it's, yeah, and it's and it's just yeah, I wasn't disparaging at all. It was just like uh, it's almost like you know you you have such strong memories of that character that when you see you're like oh right, it is the same person. Like yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so today we are taking a bite out of minute 38, which begins with Ed asking, so what's the plan? And ends with a cup of tea at Sean and Ed's place. This is it. Yeah, this is this is two thirds of the plan sequence, uh, right. which it's is. Crazy. Oh, yeah. Th- thanks again, guys, for giving me these minutes where um, they're basically the same exact stuff happens. <laughs> Like a few times over. <laughs> it hey, it's a classic. At all to come up with notes. It's oh, a it classic bit. I thought we were doing you a favor. I thought you were doing <laughs> one of the one of the big one of the big hit singles. You know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Tomorrow. Tomorrow, I'll just say "See above." That'll yeah. be my only note. <laughs> we talked about, no, not at all. I just thought was, when I saw these minutes at first, so immediately that thought hit me of, oh, this is going to be more of a challenge because it's repeated action <laughs> three mm-hmm. times. Yeah, but I, I think what's interesting, and and it's it's done a little bit here, but done more so in in the uh, the third act of the plan uh, in tomorrow's minute. But the way that it visually differentiates itself 
between each version because one, mm -hmm. the editing gets faster, but also if you notice the framing gets tighter as well. Um, mm -hmm. And I just think that that's a really, I don't know. It's a really interesting way to differentiate uh, all of this. Well, um, to me, it, 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 it manages to, I think the reason that this, this kills so hard and, and is one of the more memorable parts of the movie is without calling attention to itself in the ways that, that you just uh, said earlier, you you kind of get inside Sean's head for a little bit. This mm -hmm. is kind of, this is a pretty fair representation of what the brain does when it's like bullshitting together a plan. Uh-huh. Right. And, and, like, and what you might be thinking if you're pretty sure you got the, the best idea right now. Right. Like, mm -hmm. in so many ways that is illustrated here as well. And then what he thinks of himself, you know, <laughs> illustrated all the way through it as well. It's, uh, it's like, a, like, just perfect example, the coffee mug at the end of act one of the plan says, I am a genius. Yeah. <laughs> Which is. Well, I was going to point out it actually, if you look at it, it actually says, I am a genius, I am. Which oh. I thought was just kind of a weird little, like almost Cockney way of saying. Oh, I think it's it like looping. Something. I think it's looping. It is. Oh, yeah, yeah, it is. But the way they frame it, you know, right. I, I don't know. I just noticed it. I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, uh, you know how, like in Inception, when Leonardo DiCaprio, or you know, like how the the dream people, the people that are that are made from your subconscious, will sometimes mm -hmm. act as a security system. It's like in in Sean's fantasies, they're acting as like a like a safety cushion. It's like yeah. reassuring him. It reminds like, no. me of um it weirdly reminds me of uh like there was a there was a time period in the nineties where every cartoon was about how uh the main character like would imagine scenarios. Um sure, like you like had, he has an overactive imagination. Yeah, like you'd have like Bobby's World and Doug and mm -hmm. you know, all of those. And that's what this sort of reminds me of. Like, especially the way that um, you know, Liz is sort of like falling over Sean and is just like really into it and Barbara's like so happy and oh, skipping along. Like yeah. it just it feels uh, you know, like Liz feels very much like Patty Mayonnaise and like Doug's imagination, you know? Or uh, yeah, or like a Christmas it? story. Sure, sure. Yeah. So well, I just this, I really like that set. I really like that about it. There were two other elements I was gonna point out that show what Sean thinks of himself or what he hopes wishes for himself, perhaps. One is the the swishing like kung fu movie style of uh, swishing the cricket bat. Mm -hmm. So it, it gives him a little bit of an action movie flair right off when they're they're you know moving their way up to mom's house. Yeah, and then yeah. when when they're bringing mom out, mom's super happy, <laughs> of course, despite, uh, yeah. despite her husband being murdered right uh, seconds before. Uh, uh, Ed is smiling with her, but uh, but Sean is very serious, very action movie, action the, uh, yeah, hero face right. going on, you know. So he really sees himself as being in control of the situation. Everybody else is just kind of like just happy to be along for the plan. Right. This is like uh, this is Sean at his most like uh, Ash. Yeah. Well, or or oh. his most Nicholas Angel. Like this is sort of proto Nicholas Angel. Like this right, this yeah. Sean in 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 this plan uh mm -hmm. sequence. It's uh it's interesting. And it's also the the other part of that um the sort of serious action star of it all is uh when he kills Philip the first time he's just like, I'm so sorry. Like, it's very serious. And then, <laughs> so you know, like, as we go along, like in the second time, it's a little, it's a little faster. It's like more of just like an annoyance that he's getting rid of. Um, 
because you know it's technically part of the plan, but it's not the part that he wants to focus well, on. It, it's almost like the 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 subconscious Sean is getting impatient. Uh huh. It's like, all right, come on, let's get let's get going. Yeah, we don't really care about this part. Right. Yeah. At this point, he's just editing the plan. You yeah. Know? Exactly. It feels the right. first time, it's like, okay, let's go through this step by step, and now it's just like, okay, we got to get through those parts we've already settled on. We're gonna kill Philip no matter how we cut it. So let's mm-hmm. just get through that and get get to the changes that we're uh, instituting here. I okay. So the 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 beat in between the two types of the plan, I uh, this whole conversation that that Ed is like, why are we gotta go to Liz? She dumped you. Um, I I think it's. It's a fun conversation and it like really cements what we've been talking about with Sean about how all of his decisions on this Sunday have all been focused around his his sort of longing for Liz and like his desire to improve himself to be a better man for Liz. Mm-hmm. And and I, this this joke I I feel like this joke with Ed saying okay gay uh is one of the only instances of sort of um, that type of joke kind of still working because he's saying it in a reference in, in reference to something that's not negative at all. It's like kind of just right. showing like Ed's a doofus. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it's 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 the movie's most dated joke, but it it still works in context of the narrative. Yeah. Because Ed's the joke. Right, exactly. Well, yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, I was gonna say that it's it works for Ed to say it because mm-hmm. he's like he's an antiquated, he's a fossil of like '90s boy humor, you know. Right, and mm-hmm. uh, fart jokes and all that. So, right, um, if as long as he's the one saying it, the movie isn't making the joke. If you get what I mean, right? It's yeah, like yeah, in yeah. Character, it's an in character joke, and you know, it's a reference um, to Edgar Wright's like you know boyhood. I guess that that the. This is the exact joke him and his friends used to make, but it only apparently only really in regards to if a guy said he liked a girl. Right. It was like that was the joke. It wasn't. It was <laughs> never like in reference to actually anything homosexual or anything like that. It was just the um, reversal of it was the joke. So right. to me, it works in that sense. And the fact that, um, yeah, the fact that Ed is a, is a you know antiquated kind of douchebag character, boy, a, a stunted boy. Right. Know, character is the only reason why it works and the absurdity of it of course helps a little right yeah and and i mean we when he says it you know we cut to sean like looking at him like what are you talking about and that <laughs> that helps also <laughs> so. i almost wonder why you know when um uh, on the commentary edgar wright talks about this being a joke that went around a lot you know as in his boyhood mm-hmm. and i thought for one second, I did think, well, maybe his response should have been more like an eye roll. Like, oh, God, how many times do I have to hear this joke from Ed? Like, as if this is always how Ed responds to something like this. But at the same time, maybe this is the first time he's ever actually said something like that to Ed. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, it, I guess that's the idea here, right? Right. Is right. that because of the desperate situation, he's finally just like blurting out that Ooh, he loves his yeah. girlfriend for the first time to his I, friend, I, right? I, I kind of, I kind of, I, I feel that. I have difficulty... Like, I never tell, like, my friend, like, my guy friends, like, when I've, like, been on a date, you know, mm-hmm. or, like, talk mm. about it. And then when it comes up, they're like, why didn't you fucking talk about it? And I'm like, well, it's, I don't know, it's weird. I don't want to talk about this stuff. And, like, I don't, <laughs> and I don't think of myself as any kind of, like, it's, I don't think it's coming from, like, a male ego place. I'm just really. Right. Well, you, you, this. you also compartmentalize your, your life 
uh, I really to, do. I to an I'm absurd watching. degree. Like his parents didn't know that he podcasted until five years into his podcasting career. So what? yeah, yeah, I know. He just, <laughs> he it... just doesn't tell them. He just doesn't tell people. Cause he just, that part of my life doesn't have anything to do with them. So there's no reason to tell those people <laughs> about it. <laughs> is there, is there a jinxing thing there? Are you afraid of jinxing things? You know, or... I, I think I just, I think I just watched way too much Batman as a kid. Uh, <laughs> and and was like, yeah, hell yeah, compartmentalize your life. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's the guy you should follow. Yeah, like, for Bruce, sure. Bruce Wayne, yeah. his psychi- his great. psychological makeup is a perfect uh, template for life. <laughs> yeah, uh, but no, I I do I definitely he's, he's, got, a, um, he's got a he's got a family he's got children <laughs> that care about him. I definitely um I feel what you're what you're saying though, as far as like I. I I can see the the idea that, you know, because I don't look, you know, there are things that you say to your significant other that mm. you don't you you say when it's just the two of you, like the way that you talk to each other or you have like jokes that literally no one on the planet would think was was funny or cute except for the two of you. Um, and you don't say that stuff in front of your friends. And I think that that's kind of what this is driving from so he's saying something like because i'm in love with her and that's not something that you would necessarily say with your friends or to your friends especially when she's not in the room and it's and certainly there might be a little bit of of uh, british culture going on here too um, yeah and like, then just like good old-fashioned straight male fear of like any kind of vulnerability exactly or, yeah well and then understatement the uh, constantly being the form of expression you know as i understand it with in Britain, you know, he would have probably said many times to Ed, you know, I'm quite fond of Liz, you know, yeah. <laughs> as opposed to what he, that, what he means is he's, he loves her. But, you know, whoever says that, you know, explicit of a thing. Yeah. <laughs> but here, because, I mean, you know, he's he just got dumped. He's emotionally vulnerable. Mm-hmm. He's hungover. And there's a zombie attack going on. So he's just like all the defenses are down at this yeah, point. Yeah, but he's so still he's like, mostly thinking argument. about Liz. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he and, also wants yeah, he doesn't... Yeah, they don't have time for that. Yeah. Like, no time for this. The plan is to go to get Liz. Uh, here's the reason why. Enough. Let's move on. Right. And and, 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 the, and the thing that's great about that, about how he's like, no, I'm putting my foot down, is that he's putting his foot down, but he's also taking his friend's uh, 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 wants and desires into consideration as well. Because he's like, well, I put my f- foot down on the Liz thing. So the least I can do is allow him to put his foot down on a familiar place where he can smoke. <laughs> yeah. See, now I'll, They're to equal to him here, almost. <laughs> I think the smoking thing appeals to Sean too, though. Well, but I, he quits smoking. That when he hears that, he goes, yeah, but he, I think he wants to. <laughs> I mean, that's the idea, right? Is that the, that running joke with the cigarettes is that he didn't quit when she did because obviously he still wishes he smoked. He, we still do see him smoke. Yeah. So in the end, like he hears that and, you know, he's not going to fess him and say, yeah, good idea. But I think in the back of his mind, he's like, yeah, smoking uh, in these under these circumstances <laughs> is probably a good idea. So, yeah, I'm with you on that one. <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever noticed the the body of the groom behind Ed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I Yeah. Oh. Me either, and, and but I I did notice in the script that they mention the body. Mm-hmm. Um, at, you know when he says, "Look at the state of it," in reference to the place, he says, "There's a corpse in the living room," but it's a good cut because you know once we we have the movie, we can just put the corpse in the in the shot, you know, so we right. don't need that, and it's much more subtle because 
I, I actually think the more, again, understated, uh, look at the state of it where they're just like, oh, it's, you know, this place is filthy. It's not there's really referencing directly yeah. that there's a corpse. Right. But that yet there is a corpse is actually funnier. Yeah. And yeah. that goes back to like the films like Thesis, which is like a zombie invasion versus like, you know, the British Reserve. Right. Right. It's like, right. well, look at the state of it. There's a zombie, <laughs> a zombie on, the, <laughs> on the floor. We can't have people over. Uh Things I've never noticed until doing this podcast. Uh, I've never noticed that Ed dips his biscuit into Barbara's teacup. Yeah, I, had, I had a note about that too. Is it because he just guzzled his tea immediately and no longer had a tea to, to dip? I, I, it's such a weird move. I think he's. I, think I, was, I assume he's just flirting with Barbara. Yeah, yeah, just kind of like a fun little move. From, yeah. Which, which this being this being Sean's imagination, like, does he like kind of is he kind of shipping them a little bit? Like, is he kind of uh, like that'd be kind of cool if Ed was my stepdad? There is something very sweet about Sean's go-to plan is just get all of the people he cares about in his favorite place. Yeah, it is very yeah. almost childlike, like getting all your stuffed animals together. It is. Yeah, it, it, and it's important for the rest of the movie, too, I think, actually. That that idea, I mean, you kind of referenced it earlier in that his driving motivation is to, you know, uh, mainly for Liz, but obviously for his mother as well. Obviously for Ed, who he's been, you know, against um, everyone's better judgment, uh, has been helping along in life all this time, or at least kept him around. So he cares about him. Mm -hmm. But then in his imagination, of course, there is no... Uh, uh, the other couple, you know, Liz's right. roommates uh, involved in it at all. But later in the movie, every time he makes a decision, you remember this scene. Like mm -hmm. you remember him saying he loves Liz and you remember how this is portrayed in his imagination as this kind of happy gathering despite what's going <laughs> on outside. And, mm -hmm. and you know why he's willing to, you know, run among a, a, a horde of zombies distracting them just to help them out, you know? So right. it's a good setup for all of those, cr like kind of those heroic actions he takes later. You believe him hundred percent because of all this. Yeah. I think, I think Ed's um, insistence on not staying at Liz's is probably the worst mistake in the movie because Liz's is on the second floor and that, yeah, that seems like a great idea. Um, but Alas, it wasn't yeah, meant it, to be. it's you know, and and we and Sean, I remember we one of the things we remarked upon is like Sean is not above the huddled masses. Sean is in the huddled masses, mm -hmm. and and we see Sean make mistakes that are that don't put him above anyone else. And I think yeah, like we we absolutely everything would have been okay if they had just probably stayed there. But that wasn't comfortable. That seems scary to him because it's not. It's a place where he would have been judged and all this other stuff. And yeah, it it I, I just really like that that we we just see how human this this protagonist is. Yeah. Yeah, I always like it when um even when the best laid plans are put out there, there's one little human error somewhere in there that ends up being the undoing. Mm-hmm. Um because the you know, we haven't even talked about the fact that they're that we're watching a horror movie here. Um right. uh, comedy horror, obviously, but we're watching a horror movie where they're spending all of this time explicitly going over a plan right. and correcting the plan and thinking everything through, which uh, in, at least in my experience of watching horror films is not usually what happens. Usually they have a loose plan and all the plot holes that these guys are covering up are left there, you know, but um, 
the fact that they're making a plan here at all is is interesting. But I like that even if you t- even if you plan everything out to this extent with three different drafts of the plan, there's still going to be some kind of human error in there that's going to be your undoing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, the and I just I just want to point out that mm-hmm. Sean is the only one with a mug in the in the uh, second part of the plan. Um, <laughs> he's the only one actually drinking tea, and his mug. Says cool, 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 cool. cool. So you can tell that it's a little. That's a step below. I'm a genius. I'm a genius. I'm a genius. Right. It's but it's 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 a little more in denial. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah, yeah. Everything's fine. (laughs) He also Uh, looks a little bit more skeptical when he does this little cheers move. He's got like kind of a grimace to his face. That's more like, yeah, this is gonna be all right. Yeah, Yeah. a cheers a little less certain of his plan every step of the way. A cheers is not is not a mischievous little wink, which is what we get in the first one. Mm -hmm. Right, that's true. Mischievous little like everything's gonna be okay, Bugs Bunny wink. This is more of like, (laughs) yep, yep. See, we're fine. Like kind of denial. Right. Yeah, I like that. Well, because and and I'm well. I mean, I guess we'll get into that. Why uh, that's the case in the next minute. Um, the uh, the problem with uh, being at at their house. Yeah. But I assume that that has something to do with uh, wh- how they designed his reaction in that particular shot. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, and this is really sad. But it, this is I think this is the happiest we see Liz in the movie. And so it's like it's bittersweet because it's like, oh, look how happy she can look. But it's like, oh, it's like it's fantasy. Right. Right. So. Uh, so, John, we didn't have you on for space, as we mentioned at the, at the top of the show. So what's uh, what's your background with this movie and, and with Edgar Wright in general? Um, this movie would have been the first time I ever heard of Edgar Wright or Simon Pegg or anything about this. So. This movie came out of nowhere to us, you know, the people I knew, because mm-hmm. I don't think I anybody I knew had seen Spaced either. And I worked at a, a theater off and on for a long time called the Tivoli Theater here in Kansas City, a little art house theater in Midtown. Mm-hmm. And uh, they got this. Like, it was kind of a cool uh, – they haven't gotten an Edgar Wright movie since because they're just a little art house theater. But on the initial run of this movie, it was kind of a cool get because it was – rare that we would get genre movies there yeah um usually we're getting the art house the the foreign films the kind of blue hair crowd films sure sure yeah um so we get the zombie movie and it's like wow what is this and honestly back then a guy who worked with uh chris uh we had been working on our own kind of weird take on a zombie movie and uh, so we were like wait a minute what's going on here this is really cool this looks like it's going to be you know, the trailer was great. looked like it was going to be a lot of fun. So that was my initial introduction to it. And it just blew everybody's doors off. And it stayed in the theater forever because people just kept coming in. Uh, lots of rewatchers and, you know, people just loved it. Yeah. So that's really my – that's my origin with Edgar Wright. And I was didn't really think about Edgar Wright that much, to be honest. It's like, good movie. Edgar Wright's his name? Okay. And I didn't think much about him again until Hot Fuzz came out. And it was like from the makers of Shaun of the Dead. And I said, oh, now they're doing this. And that's when Space started. You know, then you started hearing a little bit more about the backgrounds. And mm-hmm. Simon Pegg was around in, in things here and there. So he was a little bit more on the radar. So it wasn't really any like great story about my background with him. But once I saw Hot Fuzz and realized that he could stretch into other genres as well. And then saw Space and realized that these guys just get it. I mean, I think that's the bottom line about Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright. You could get into the specifics about 
there, you know, Edgar Wright is a filmmaker, Simon Pegg is a writer or performer, um, and how they come together. But the bottom line is you could just say they just get it. They just understand how genre film works. Mm-hmm. And all the other stuff just happens because they've seen it. It's sort of like Tarantino in a lot of ways where he just absorbed it and, and got it and was able to then articulate that into a film. So uh, to me, Edgar Wright's about the best. I mean, he's the best like genre movie maker right now, I would say. And um, I'm constantly excited for his next projects and I wish he had more. I honestly wish he would make them a little bit quicker sometimes. Yeah. But then again, I think he's got to take the time because he puts so much work and effort into everything he does that um, I'm guessing that the time that, that goes in between his projects is, is due to the quality he's trying to put into them. So, yeah. Um, and, and in the, in the particular case, I mean, it seems like three years is his average um, this last time it was, I think four years, uh, but that was obviously because he wasted like a year and a half on Ant-Man. Um, yeah. but, uh, you know, I, I, I agree. I, I wish he would make movies faster, but also if this is what it takes, then I don't want him to. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's a difference between, you know, it's like, a, be careful what you wish for kind of thing. You kind of want to, if you'd have some sort of diminishing quality, if he sped up the process too much. Right, and I, I kind of want to see him just, you know, the Ant Man thing was like a, a Edgar Wright movie slash Marvel movie. Yeah, I know at first it was more of an Edgar Wright movie, and then the Marvel thing kind of started to take off and swallowed up his idea. Mm-hmm. And uh, not, of course, obviously he's not the holder of the IP of Ant Man, but it came from him. He pitched it to them first, as I understand it. So, right, I would kind of like to see him just take a job one time. Um, take some kind of a genre movie, some kind of a, uh, I mean, I wouldn't, I would love it if he did a little one-off Star Wars movie or something just to see what he would do with it. Because I think uh, um, as much as I love the worlds that he creates, I would just like to see his filmmaking chops applied to something else once. Yeah. Just for fun. Same well, with Quentin Tarantino. I've said that about him his entire career. So. I read Grasshopper Jungle just because it was announced that he yep, had- same. Yeah, we 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 texted each other when this this was like 2013 14. Yeah. Uh, cuz yeah. that's who we are and we've accepted it. And, <laughs> uh, and yeah, I would be I would be down. I would be down to see his version of 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 that. I wasn't super in love with the book, but I I I think there was like a really strong base there. Yeah. Yeah, there was. It, it's it's certainly interesting. Uh, Gra- Grasshopper Grasshopper Jungle. For those of you who who aren't aware, it was like um, it's like a, a YA book about a, a a town that gets overrun by giant grasshoppers. Uh, and the these three kids who like come together and they go and uh, they find where the grasshoppers came from, which was like this underground base. It's really it's a really weird. Uh, strange uh, thing, but it's it all it's all you know based around sort of coming of age. My my only issue with him doing that is that it feels it felt while I was reading it, I was like, oh, I could see him do this, but I was thinking, oh, I I'm seeing that I can he can do this because I saw the world's end, and that's kind of this is like the world's end high school edition. Uh, yeah, and it's 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 notable because it would be. If it were to happen, it would be a, a pretty big. It would have to be a pretty big, like studio, right? YA release that heavily features a uh, a bisexual romance. Oh yeah, that's true. Very true. Very true. Um, and uh, you know, we're all for that. You know, with more, yeah, you know, be- a progressive blockbuster would be great. And we were just talking about how 
you know, it, it would be nice to have a different kind of Edgar Wright protagonist. Yeah, uh, it's also true. Um, yeah, our our big thing on this show, John, is that we we really want him to do a movie. We don't care what the movie is. We just want mm-hmm. him to do a movie with a female protagonist. Uh, yeah, I was I was gonna say that that's the one thing where maybe he falls a little short for me. Mm-hmm. Um, is that I you know I think this movie actually does okay. Yeah, uh, she's not nobody's a uh, it's obviously a male protagonist. But I always uh, feel like the female characters in this movie have a lot of agency compared yeah. to some of his other movies. And they sure. feel very Hot grounded f- in reality and not comic fantasies. Right. Well, and they take action. I mean, there's a joke about, you know, when the in the garden there with the guy in the, pajama, the pajamas, you know, the zombie in the pajamas, that, um, you know, they are the two women are the ones that actually take action and help Sean while the two guys stand back looking at the phone and not wanting to <laughs> yeah. cramp his style or whatever. And, uh, you know, to me, there's a bit of a joke about that. And I think that Liz takes a lot of action. And then, um, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting. Oh, Diane. Uh, Diane. Yeah. Right. I know her name's Daisy. Is the... Anyway, um, I feel like she's got a lot of agency, you know. But mm-hmm. then Hot Fuzz, no. Um, no, no. Uh, the World's I mean, I End, love, no. I, I love Baby Driver. I, I love Doris to death, but. No. Of course. I mean, Olivia Coleman is just a, a, a gift, and she's so. That was, <laughs> right. I think, that maybe even the first thing I ever saw with Olivia Coleman in it. But, uh-huh. I mean, yeah, it's it's a shame. I mean, just being a, a joke machine is one thing, you know. Right. But and then Baby Driver, you know, we don't have to go into that too deeply, but it was a big missed opportunity. To yeah, me, a big missed opportunity, and I kind of wonder now. I don't know, like him and Simon Pegg don't have a track record of having, you know, a perfect track record with female uh, characters. But um, I kind of wonder, he still just needs that that co-writer, I think. I really think mm-hmm. that there was this, this big, blaring, obvious move he could have made with the uh, female character lead, the female lead in Baby Driver that would have made that movie so much better to me yeah. and given her a lot of agency, and he just missed it. See, to me, it could have just stayed exactly the same, but she should have figured out what was going on with him, and she should have passed the note to him in the diner. Oh, because to me it was just it was just so obvious what was happening, and she could have put two and two together so easily that she mm-hmm. could have written the note saying, "We're getting out of here tonight," and she was his out as opposed to the other way around because it didn't make any sense the other way around to me. Yeah, and and the fact that he was kind of a um, a man child, he kind of right. needed her help. Yet suddenly he just broke out and took control of the situation. Right. In a way yeah, that I didn't because find baby was because baby was a very unmotivated character in a way. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I like and yet, that. And she was the one that introduced the idea of hitting the road, you know, in the in the laundromat and so on. Right, yeah. So why isn't she the one that introduced the idea again in, right. in reality? That would have been that great That was to because, me a huge missed opportunity. That would have been great because he's the – because then it, it sort of flips the fairy tale dynamic, which is what that movie was, it, on its yep. head by saying like, oh, the prince that you thought was saving the princess. Actually, no, he meets the princess and she saves him. Because he's yeah. the, the prin- one that's trapped in the tower, you know. The princess, the princess finds a way out of the maze. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. To me, that would have been a nice reversal. There really isn't any strong reversals in that movie to me. Like, yeah. Everybody kind of stays down a steady path, mm-hmm. and um, that's okay for a lot of the characters. But for her, for her, it would have been nice to flip her character from what we expect to something completely unexpected. Absolutely. And it also, just would have made sense with the psychological makeup of the characters. Like he. Was not I, I just don't believe that he was equipped to suddenly take all this action at the end of the movie. It didn't. I didn't buy it, and it was a weak spot, a huge weak spot for me in that movie, unfortunately. So I think Edgar Wright, yeah, 
I want him to do whatever he's going to do, and I look forward to whatever it is, but I think he should always have a co-writer. Yeah. That's just, from what I can tell, he needs one. And if it's Simon Pegg, all the better, because the alchemy between the two of them that they create is just insane. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, and and I know that they want to work together again on a non-Cornetto movie. Like, they want to do something, like, totally new. And I would be yeah. I totally on board for that. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I agree. Whatever he does next, I'm excited for. I kind of hope it's not Baby Driver 2, as we've said uh, on this podcast before. But uh, if it is, it'll be an interesting experiment, at least, because um, we've never seen him revisit characters before. So... I. I was just thinking, watching this movie again last night, how refreshing that is, though. <laughs> how refreshing it is that this is called Shaun of the Dead, and there's never been a, a you know, Shaun from of Dust Till Shaun. Yeah. From Dust Till Shaun or something. Right. And it's exactly where it should be. All the characters get exactly to where they need to be. Yep. And it's so satisfying. And uh, it is. I just feel like it might not be in his nature to sequelize uh, something, but we'll see. Um, all right. Well, uh, I think that's I think that's all we got for this minute. We went on a little bit of a tangent, but not not too far of a it. tangent. Still Edgar Wright, so it works. Um, so we will be back uh, tomorrow to talk about Minute 39. Uh, if you want to follow us on all of our social media, we're at Cornetto Minute on Twitter, Facebook, uh, and Instagram, if that's, uh, you know, whatever your social media of choice is, follow us there. And uh, you can you can contact us uh, that way as well uh, if you've got questions or notes or whatever. Um, so, yeah, uh, do that. And we'll be back tomorrow. In the meantime, let's have a nice cold pint and wait for all of this to blow over. Bye. 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 Bye.